1: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a five-time, 22-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. And as some of our listeners know, I am now battling stage four metastatic breast cancer and pretty anxious to get this party started. So I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life.
2: Hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin, and I'm a 25-year breast cancer survivor, certified life coach, and the creator and author of Thriving Beyond Cancer. Becky and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends. And before we jump into um, our guest, um, I wanted to talk about a big topic, just briefly, uh, about hope. And hope is one of those amazing things that honestly I don't think we can carry on when we have, like Becky, you're, you're facing this uh, new diagnosis and it's mm-hmm. a very scary thing. And if you don't have hope, you might as well pack up your tent and go home is kind of my, <laughs> that my is for uh, sure. way of way of talking about it. But I wanted to also say that hope without action, is a little bit uh, lacking, I guess. Um, And and the reason I say that is because action, for instance, your ability to do some therapy, some uh, treatment, uh, the ability to live your life the best way you can while you're going through this. Um, I love to travel. And if I just hope to travel, that will never happen. That's true. So I just want to make sure that people understand hope is amazing. You can't go on without it. But again, let's put some action plans together to make sure that we actually can accomplish what we want to accomplish while we have that opportunity. Well, that's great, Sharon. Honestly,
1: thanks for that because, you know, some sometimes we feel like we're just kind of sitting around waiting on things to happen and kind of right now I am we're waiting on some pathology but I know once we get going we'll make some some good headway and I'm excited and hopeful that everything that we're going to do is going to have a great impact absolutely and with that our show today is really about hope and we have an amazing guest. He's from Ireland. Now, I know that we've mentioned before how many guests or how many listeners we have from Ireland. We'd sure love to know how you're all hearing about us. So, if anybody's hearing this show, even if it's not live at the moment, you're listening in the archives, doesn't matter. um, Would you write to becky at breastfriends.org and tell us that you're from Ireland and how you heard about our show and maybe what you think of it. So, because we have a lot of listeners, and it's really exciting to have a global impact like that. And we do have listeners all over the world, but for some reason, Ireland kind of takes the, takes the prize yeah. <laughs> for the number of <laughs> listeners. But anyway, our guest today is a, is a gentleman by the name of Liam Ryan. And Liam has been a guest on numerous radio shows. He writes inspirational pieces for careers in government that goes out to over 15 million people every month. That's pretty amazing. Liam survived something that most would not have survived. I, when I read his story, I was just in awe. He had a stage four tumor in his face. At first, he was told no hospital would even try, and the prognosis was extremely poor. Yet, here he is alive and well, 16 years later. Oh, That gives me goosebumps. Right. Liam's story has now gone all over the world. This will be his fourth radio interview in the United States, and Liam has become the living proof that nothing is for certain. Welcome, Liam. Thanks so much for joining our show today.
3: Thank you, Becky and Sharon. What a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. It's great very to be welcome. here. You're very welcome. Well, we're,
1: we're I bet it is for a lot of reasons, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. I, I mean, you two know what I'm talking about. When you make we that do. statement, you mean more than just what it sounds.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, well, Liam, you're from Ireland, and I know Sharon Sharon did a short stint at a layover, I think, and you did a little visiting while you were laying yeah. over for, because it was a long one, wasn't it? Like
2: yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 17 hours, so I at least walked oh. around. For you know, I slept there, and I uh, I ended up uh, you know walking around uh, you know downtown, the main street in Dublin there, and went to the to the university, and all you know got I to see saw. the Boca Kells That's and all that. A, yeah. Highlights. <laughs> but
1: I've I've never seen Ireland except pic, in picture books. So I have no clue. So right now it is a um, little after nine o'clock in the morning in Portland, Oregon. It is gray. It is cold. And there are leaves have fallen everywhere. There's big piles of, of them outside. So what is Ireland like right now?
3: Well, that's a really good question because I'm sitting in, in, as you were speaking to them last night, in my friend's house, Porrick and Fiona's. And I'm, I have a lovely view out through my window of the magnificent Loch Derg. I'm looking down on it, and the sun is about to set over the mountains beyond the lake uh-huh. in County Clare. So um, this uh, Dublin is only one piece of Ireland, Sharon. Uh, yes. I'm down the country, in, in a, and it's a lovely area with great community, and uh, it's a lovely place to live.
2: Yes, yes. I'm Sounds. looking forward to exploring
3: <laughs> in way You've more detail. Come.
2: Absolutely,
1: to come and see it. So, Sharon, maybe that's our next joint trip. Sharon and I have taken oh, many trips that. to places together. We've been to Italy. We've been to France. We've been to Iceland. Okay you know, together and it's been kinda kinda fun. we we left our husbands at home. Not that we wanted to, but they were busy working. <laughs> so, you know, we still had to go, you know. <laughs>
3: anyway. Well, well, I'm gonna I'm, put you on the Ireland list. There you go. You, Thank you've you. You've got to come to Ireland. <laughs> I would
1: Thank love you. That. Well Liam, before we get started down the journey of your um, of your cancer battle, let's let's just get our our audience to know you a little bit. Can you give us a little bit of your background, you know, your family, your hobbies Maybe your job, you know, just, sure. just anything you want to share with us about who you are.
3: Uh, well, I'm, I'm 56 for a start. I'll be 57 in three days time. Oh, ah, happy uh, birthday. By profession. And I grew up in the middle of Ireland uh, and I went to college in Liverpool in England where I met Pam, my, my great wife. And about a little over 20 years ago now, we moved back to Ireland when our eldest boy, Christy, was about two. Um, And we found this where Limerick would be our nearest city. We live in a lovely location. There are actually two twin towns, uh, Ballina on one side of a a little stone bridge and Killaloo on the other. Uh, But the two of them go together to form one lovely community to live in. So it's, it's quite scenic where we live. And there is a lovely community spirit. And the pace of life is a little bit slower than you get in the cities, which only makes it all the nicer.
2: Oh, boy, I bet.
3: That, that, sound, that sounds <laughs> so, wonderful. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I, I have, I'm a runner uh, over the years. I've done seven marathons over my time. So wait, uh, what,
1: seven uh, marathons?
3: Seven marathons, yes. Oh my six, gosh! Six before cancer, and just one since. Which, of course, oh, just one. Was, was <laughs> the, well, although it was the slowest, it was actually the greatest one of all because oh it God. was the one I was not supposed to do. Yeah. Exactly. Um, oh boy. And after that, I, uh, we, we, I'm I'm typical, you know. I'm a sports fan, and, and uh, I'm I'm a good community man. I, I, I you know I like to socialize and. and uh, see friends and family um and of course as you both know in your own stories uh my life just completely changed 16 years ago when uh, when the diagnosis came
1: so what were you doing just before what was your life like just before your diagnosis
3: uh it was 2002 and we we moved, we moved back from liverpool in 1996 so um, for for those six years, we, we had, Pam is also an architect, and we set up our own practice, working from home. Uh, and as I've just described, we we lived in an, an idyllic location. Really, we had plenty of work, um, and it was it was a nice scale of work. I had done the big city stuff in in my earlier years, and and we were kind of two rural architects, really, uh, doing a nice little mix of work. And we had three young boys who were growing up around us in the house. Uh, so, as I say to people, if you asked me to change something in 2001 in my life, it would have been very hard for me to say what that would have been. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we just had a had a, a lovely lifestyle in a lovely location. Wow. Um, so, um, that was... Uh, Primarily, the, 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 those early years, uh, just pre-diagnosis,
4: yeah.
3: and then, um, as you both know, the the bolt out of the blue comes.
1: Yeah. So you started getting headaches, and that was kind of your first sign that something was wrong. What, what, what was that? What went through your mind when? I mean, I know, like, for Sharon and I, we both have had cancer, so we get a headache, and, man, it's just really easy (laughs) for, oh, my gosh, I must have a brain tumor, but you hadn't had that cancer experience yet. So what went through your mind? Did cancer even inch its way in there at all?
3: Well, a bit of my difficulty was diagnosis because it wasn't obvious what it was from the beginning. Mm. And just to... The medics also like to use my story from this point of view, because I was the classic case of somebody who doesn't get cancer. I I had never smoked. I'd never carried any weight. As I said, I'd run six marathons. Um, And when I see my oncologist now uh, socially uh, more than for any other reason, you know, he always tells me he uses my story as an example to everybody out there that, in the main, this is just a predatory disease. It, it doesn't leave any trail most of the time before it strikes.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: So that heightened my fall, really, because it was such a surprise. Right. But to, to go back to the headaches, yeah, I, I, I began to get these headaches, and they, they were a little bit unusual in hindsight, but, but that's easy to say now. They weren't debilitating like a migraine was. They'd come and go... So I was the classic man. For the first week, I did absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then,
3: and now I know that, that, that uh, of all the fine attributes uh, the women of the world have, they've got one more. They're here to tell men to go to the doctor when, when they, <laughs> they see a sign of trouble. Yep. So my good wife, Pam... Uh, at the end of that week, she gave me a choice and said, you either go to the doctor or, or we get divorced, uh, <laughs> practically. Well, it wasn't as dramatic as that. But but, uh, but yeah,
2: it, it, it was pretty it, insistent. <laughs> it, it, she she had to
3: put it that strong, correct? Yeah. So, um, so I, I started there, and um, initially, it, it, we just thought it was a sinus infection, and when the antibiotics didn't work, I was admitted to my local hospital for what's called a sinus wash, where they just knock you out and... The surgeon will flush out uh, the infection in your sinus, and uh, um, I that the start of the, that little two night procedure was a was a an actual was a lovely experience for me because I I really clicked with my consultant. There was a, a wonderful ward sister on the ward I was on. It was a routine procedure and. and I describe it, it. It was only one notch down from a mini hotel break. Um, <laughs> I said I thought I could do this every year and
1: uh, <laughs> go to the doctor so he, more often. <laughs>
3: he came round uh, the next day on his rounds, and the only issue was what time I was to go home at. You know, as far as we all knew then, the infection had been flushed out, and and I was cleared to go. And you you will both know that that very first instant when the news breaks, and you'll never forget that that memory for the rest of your life. And in my case, I just knew by the demeanor of John Fenton was his name as soon as he walked into the room. And I describe it as I just went into a sense of bewilderment, you know, that the the smile I was admitting Mm -hmm. was only receiving blank, serious faces in response. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. And he... He just came right up to the bed and he just said, Liam Ryan, this is very serious. And he he, he waited until he had a scan before he used the word cancer. But I just knew immediately that this is, you know, even then I thought this is this is a a life and death moment.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that That
3: was my my initial break.
1: Wow. Just one more quick question, Liam. So where where was that tumor? Was it? I mean, you said it was in your face. I know you wear an eye patch now. Did was it behind your eye or part? Was it? Where was
3: it? Well, I I I I picked that up by going on to the next day when he when he had the scan. He um, he then explained to me what it was, and he said, uh, "I had a massive tumor. It was filling my cheek, running around my eye." And it was backed at that point, uh, backed right up against both my brain stem and the top of my spine. And he said, it's so advanced, it's now gone through all the soft tissue and it, it has eaten substantially into your cheekbones. So he just, he said to me, the problem with it in your face, more so than a brain tumor, is the surgery is just off the wall. You know, it is so complicated because obviously everything is at risk. Your your eyes, your ears, your nose, and of course every nerve in your body has to go through your head to get to your brain. Yeah. So he he said, you're so unlucky that it's presented itself at such an advanced stage. And he said, there are only a handful of surgeons in the world could even look at uh, a case like yours now. Um, but then he went on to say, but the double whammy you have is, because it's so advanced, it won't all be removed surgically. And you're also going to need a radical radiotherapist. Uh, Your radiotherapy will be a primary treatment for you as opposed to a secondary treatment. And you'll need somebody who will just write a program just for your case, probably put all their insurance on the line and uh, risk everything uh, just to, to, just to treat you with radiotherapy. So how he, did he at you the even, end.
2: Of, oh my gosh! How did you even live through that day? You're just giving me goosebumps. It's like, well, oh my I, gosh! I, I can't imagine.
3: <laughs> I, I, as you, I'm sure you were on day one. You do have nothing, you know, yeah. because you yeah. just, you just, cancer equals death. You, you oh. can't get past that, that very tough st- statement. Right. Uh, so he concluded then by saying, if they do exist, the chances are the surgeon will be in New York. But the radio will be in Tokyo. And he said, oh, you wow. need the two of them wow. in Limerick, Ireland now, because I effectively had a month to live. So th- that was the, the bombshell that was dropped um, on the, the second day after I went in for a routine procedure.
1: Wow. One wow. month to live.
2: Wow. That oh. just, that's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure most people would probably just roll up in a ball. And yeah, that's, well, that's a tough one.
3: But you guys have been there. I mean, what is the, the option is roll up in a bowl or fight for your life, really? Exactly. And, I'm,
2: exactly. and you're a fighter, am, obviously.
3: But I'm, I'm convinced most people have a secret story resolved. And, and you really don't know until your back is to the wall or or, your, or the gun is to your head what's inside you, what will come out when yeah. you need it to. You know? Absolutely.
2: I, I agree completely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, I do, so too. You, you you, you kind of can't answer that question hypothetically. You have to wait almost until you're put in the position.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I don't think anyone, no matter what kind of cancer, whether it's, you know, this really super, super scary stuff or um, really typical, you know, kind of garden variety breast cancer that we talk about, you know, sometimes. Yes. I mean, lymph nodes are not, uh, stage four or not, I mean, it's all just scary stuff, and it, and it just hits you like a lead brick.
3: Especially at the very beginning, because you know nothing about the subject. I mean, later on, I was better equipped to, to handle some of the news that came at me. But at the very start, you've just gone over a cliff. You know, yeah. you're free-falling down yeah. to the sea below.
1: Makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Well, Liam, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we want to hear more about this part of your story about the great. doctors and all of that. So we're going to go ahead and take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be back That's in a great. minute.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today.
4: When was the last time you felt?
2: Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our guest uh, Liam Ryan from Ireland. So, boy oh boy, that was quite a first segment. So, let me—you were your doctor's telling you that basically no one's going to touch your case. So, what uh-huh. did you what did you do with that information? Well,
3: um- Looking back on everything now Sharon, uh, I have a couple of standout lines and one of them is uh, in the blackest of holes there is still the most amazing chinks of light Mm. and the very first of them was standing in front of me at this point. Uh, I had got on so well with my consultant for the sinus wash, after two days we were effectively good friends. We just Mm -hmm. clicked and To such a degree that once he had told me this, that he didn't think there was any treatment to be got anywhere, I was able to ask him the ultimate question. And I've said this to cancer patients since. If you're ever in any doubt, the question to ask your consultant is, what would you do if this was you? Mm -hmm. And I was asking that to him at that stage as much as his friend, as his patient. So uh, he said to me, well, he said, you know, you're, you've got head and neck cancer, which is which is one of the rare ones, and it's it's obviously one of the more severe ones because the surgery is so complicated. And he said, when I asked him what he would do, he said he spent three years in Liverpool in England,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and he said it's a in his uh, opinion, it's a centre of excellence for head and neck cancer. He told me it's probably the best in Europe, and it's on a par with a lot of what. I would have got in in America, perhaps perhaps not up there with the biggest cities. Uh, He said it's definitely one of the best facilities there is. So he said to me, if he was me, he would go to Liverpool because he said, at least there you're in the hands of people familiar with this condition. He also said, I don't think they're going to say anything different to you than what I've just said, but he said, that's where you've got to start.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and so basically taking that information and I'm assuming because a month is in a very long time you probably moved on this very quickly
3: (laughs) well the the chink of life was because he knew them he was able to lift the phone and he got me a referral within a week oh
2: fabulous
1: wow
3: I mean I still might have we still might have found Liverpool but It could have been two months later, and it would have been too late on the internet or something. So he rang straight away, and a week later, I was on a a plane from Ireland to Liverpool, uh, and I met two great men. Simon Rogers is the chief maxillofacial surgeon in one hospital in Liverpool, in, in the University Hospital in Liverpool, and David Husband is the chief radiotherapist in Clatterbridge Hospital. And myself and Pam met the two of them in, in Liverpool City Centre. And what's lovely about living on is they tell you a little bits of your story years later.
4: <laughs> that they hold
3: hold back from you at the time.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But in that session, both of those men also decided I wasn't going to make it. Mm. But they're assessing more than just your condition. They're also assessing you and your family. Mm-hmm. Could you cope with, if I did survive, obviously severe disfigurement? the likelihood of a very poor quality of life, blind, deaf, dumb, wheelchair, mental impairment, any combination of that five was exceedingly likely. And the great thing was, myself and Pam, we seemed to tick all the other boxes. I mean, I was was pretty grounded. I knew where I was. And I describe it as I was like a boxer. I wanted, if I was going down, I wanted to go down in the ring with my gloves on. I Mm -hmm. didn't want to go down without a chance to fight. Yeah. And they saw that in me and between them without saying it to me directly they said we we've, we've got to give we've got to give this guy a shot. So at the end of that little session uh, I said what w- what do you think and they said we're prepared to offer you treatment.
1: Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> I'm crying. <and> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is well, so so emotional.
3: Simon Rogers told me that story in his car years later and it, it was it was a beautiful moment between the two of us because he obviously saw, had faith in me to take on what he believed was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, uh, um, uh, we're great friends now and I will be extremely grateful to that man for the rest of my life because literally he was the only person in the world who, who was prepared to open a door. And 16 years later, I'm talking to two wonderful people Few thousand miles away across the Atlantic, it, it's just a phenomenal story.
1: You know, I, I, I go back to your wife. If your wife hadn't threatened you <laughs>
3: well, go to the
1: hospital, you'd very you might persistent. not be having this conversation. Yeah,
3: exactly. and, and yeah. more, uh, and more, and I'm sure in, in your cases as well, the, the the carers are the unsung heroes. Like, yeah, Pam was just. Um, tenacious and and dogmatic in my corner all the way through, you know, absolutely incredible. And and what I often say to the one thing I didn't have to do was was make a decision because everything is mapped out for you as the patient. Right. But there's nobody to tell the husbands or the wives or the brothers and sisters what to do. You know, the likelihood in my case, her husband was going to die and there was three small children and and we were self-employed running our own business. So... That's why in my book I wanted to tell that story as well. I mean, uh, the, the, and they're in every cancer story. The, the people in your corner, yep. there is nobody, you know, in a sense, guiding them, or they they have to work it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and they want to be strong for you, of course. They yeah, want to give course. you, you know, the their best and that, you know, you're going to do this. But in their own heart, they're scared to death. They're that's, thinking that's right. maybe the worst. And yeah, that's and right. it's so, so difficult. So, um, So this resolve that you had to live really obviously must have been obvious to your doctors for them to take this on and and move forward so how long was your treatment
3: well once they said they'd offer me treatment that was a huge green light obviously going on because beyond that then we were were looking on the internet for alternatives or for miracles or whatever so I, I you know and I wanted to stay in traditional medicine if I could at all so as soon as they said that, um, I, I wanted the operation tomorrow because it's like an alien. You're conscious this thing is, is growing yes. inside you and trying to kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, part of, of the learning curve and the penny dropping, my operation was so big, they said to me, it'll take a month to prepare, you know, to pull the team yeah. together. Wow. So we, we returned to Ireland, and that's when the resolve kicked in. I mean, I said, okay, I've got a month now to wait do I do Well, I said it's my job it's my onus now to make myself the best possible patient I can be so I went out every day and I ran and that was to make sure the fittest possible specimen of me was going to go on the operating table when the trolley came to collect me but running it w- was also the perfect thing to do because there's a there's an awful lot of thinking when you when you run so it mm-hmm. it, it also allowed me to address the other part of the body that needed to be ready and that was my head mm-hmm. and I saw my role there was to be uh, have all my demons spooked to be not afraid to go where I had to go and so every day when I ran I used that time to get my head ready just to 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 be fully prepared for them that that I was going to have everything in place uh, as their patient uh, uh, when the call came
1: wow
2: Very healthy attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. You know, but, but I mean, it sounds, it sounds great, but wow, to to actually put that into place. um, I admire that because, again, there would be, (laughs) and, and it is that fighting spirit, I'm sure, that, that kept you going, kept you running every single day, kept you processing these emotions and, and choosing the positive. Um, When you had so much negative that you could easily have wallowed in. You know, know,
1: I I love something Liam said earlier. I wrote it down that we all have a secret store of resolve and then connecting that to the fact that sometimes we don't know what that is until we're faced with something like this. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad that you found your secret store because um, what you've gone through is just so much more than, than most. And I'm... So thankful that you're still here. Yeah. So, he
2: obviously. Yeah. No, I look at that too, and and I, I don't know what your philosophy of life is, but I believe God had a plan for you, and it wasn't your time. You know, it wasn't you. You had bigger things to do, and including, you had to get through this story to be able to share that story with people and get help them find their resolve, help them find that. Place in them that will pull them up, and when when we're really facing difficult times, and whether it's cancer or all the other crazy things that life throws us, it doesn't matter. We need that same emotion, that same resolve to to move forward. You know, Liam, you really inspired
1: me on something, and I'm just going to throw it out there (laughs) because I don't hold, I never hold back on my on this show,
4: right?
1: (laughs) Carol, no, my life is an open book, but you know, I've been kind of at this place i've had some funky moments and part mm. of it is because we're waiting on pathology so we can figure out which yes. trial to put me in and all of that and sometimes you know and i've got that feeling that this cancer is just in there growing right now and it's trying to kill me and, you know yes. you said that earlier and it, and i feel that sometimes but you also said something really important and that was that it's it's you felt it was your responsibility to put the best physical body on that table as possible. And, you know, my husband and I sometime back got these little, uh, walking tracker things that tell you how many steps you're taking and I was doing 10,000 steps every day even on our cross-country road trip we'd figure out how to get 10,000 steps in
2: yes, but yes. lately
1: I've been kind of thinking what is the point <laughs> You know. Yes. but you just inspired me that the point is I need to when I start my treatment whatever it is going to be mm-hmm. I need to put the best body forward that I can do that with so mm-hmm. so thank you for that that moment of well, inspiration there because it's it's
3: important. Just to pick up on that, Becky, and and I think it—it's a—I've come up with a different way of looking at the resolve, and and I've said this to cancer patients. What I effectively felt I was doing was I put myself on the team too, and by that I mean the patient has a role as well. It's not simply a case of sitting back and saying, "Treat me." You have a responsibility, you know, and I think that's why I ran. I, I said. My medical team are, are, are going to be fighting tooth and nail to keep me alive. Well, I, I've got to help them help me by presenting myself in the best possible form.
4: Yeah.
3: You know, and, and that was physically fit. And I felt a, of, a, of a, a needle for an injection. You, you know, I, I know... Uh, that might sound harsh to people but it, it's a tough business uh fighting cancer if you like and you've got to get tough with it yeah
4: uh,
3: and, and running because running is never easy so it was the perfect uh, form of activity I could have had I felt to to make me tougher mm-hmm. um and and I just want to another little thing on the resolve I was amazed um I'm skipping forward a bit now but after that my surgery was massive obviously and I, I was the elephant man when i when I, I was like a machine for about a week and there were days especially if you had a setback as as you've had becky that that that's a tougher scenario because I, I think as i described to you last night that comes at you through the back door you're just not ready for something to go wrong in the process of, of taking on the, the 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 main disease if you like and there was a, there was a couple of singular days when I did have nothing. I, I was a good patient in the main, and this resolve came out of nowhere, and it put the it knew I didn't have it, and it would put my medical team in front of me and say, "Look, Liam, you, you can you can't let them down." And the other one it used was I had a one-year-old son at the time, Abe, and it would put an image of him in front of me. Or the other one it would use, somebody I didn't know, somebody's mother going in to light a candle for me in a little church in Donegal, say. And it said to me, that one-year-old boy needs somebody to bring him to the playground and to the football match. Mm-hmm. And to the. And that woman, that your friend's mother, is not lighting that candle for you to sit there feeling sorry for yourself. And it's summed up by, Liam, you can let yourself down but you can't let them down.
1: Oh my gosh. And That's I tell so the both of
3: you now, within an hour, no matter how freakish I looked, I was back on the horse, no matter how little I had. So have habit myself, it knew where to go to impose it onto me. And I've said that to patients coming behind me, make that your role. Don't go down without being the boxer in the ring with your gloves on, you know, and, yeah. and it just make yourself that, give yourself that toughness.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we have a couple minutes left until the next break, so I want to ask you something. Because as I was reading your story, um, and I captured some little lines of some of the things that that you say, and I I love the statement: "If I was alive, I was winning, and cancer was losing." Well, I know and I know what that means to me, but what what does that mean to you? And why why was that such a powerful thought for you?
3: The- because I had to start there, Becky. You know, uh, they they got me ready. The, the The most likely scenario was the surgery was so big I wouldn't recover, and and actually they they offered me the chance to do nothing. In that, at least I had I had perhaps two or three months guaranteed of 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 uh, normal life, but that's all I would have had if you like. Um. So I, I felt to to remain strong. I had to narrow my focus right down to look. All that's on the table here is dead or alive for now. There now is not the time to worry about how will I look or or will I will I will I be on a tracheostomy for life or on a peg tube for life? They were minor details down the road. At that point in time, all I needed to do was to open my eyes in intensive care after surgery. Yeah. So I I, I tripped that into if I was alive, cancer hadn't got the better of me. And the recovery didn't matter. I I was so tough at that point, I would have (laughs) taken whatever the recovery became. Because Mm -hmm. all that mattered was that I had that strength of focus that the only thing that mattered was that I was alive.
2: Um, That's where that line came from. Sure, sure. And I can see that literally, if you're thinking about all these next steps... Um, it can be so overwhelming. So basically, you just wanted to live through the surgery and be able to open your eyes, and then then we'll deal with the next Yeah, exactly. The next step and the next step because otherwise, yeah, if you're worrying about all that other stuff all the time, yeah, you might not even make it through the surgery. Unfortunately, yeah, I, makes perfectly a, good sense.
3: I have another line on that chart and it and it basically it's this: you can only climb the part of the mountain that is under your foot. You know, yes. and, and I think that sums it up. You, you can look <laughs> yeah. at the peak, you I can love look that. at the top of it, but the only bit you can climb is what's under the the, the sole of your foot. That's that, and so that's awesome. that's what I did. I narrowed it right down to what, what what's in front of me today. Or tomorrow, mm-hmm.
1: you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is so. So again, we have to go out to break. I'm so sorry. I kind of wish we didn't, but um, so we will take a short break and come back in a minute. But I wanted to let you know there's so much more to this story. But when we come back, Liam, let's let's kind of focus on what you're doing now and your book and kind of because you know we we know it's been 16 years now, and and that things That's are right. things are looking up in your world, and they have been looking up for some time. So so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute.
5: become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America
0: thank you for listening today breast friends needs your support we rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive please consider making a tax deductible donation to breast friends you can visit us at breastfriends.org you can also like us on Facebook at breast Friends of Oregon be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today.
4: When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card. That opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless.
0: You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show.
2: We've been talking about hope hope. With our guest, Liam Ryan. So welcome back. And Becky, you had a question.
1: I did. And again, from reading your story, Liam, which is just an amazing story, you talked about something that, about gratitude and a a tradition that you've done every day since this. And you, and I asked you on the phone earlier when we were chatting before our call, (laughs) if you still do this, and you, you assured me that yes, you do. So why don't you tell our audience what it is you do every day and why?
3: Well... Uh, for the three of us, I don't think uh, you can come through what we have and and go back to normal life again afterwards, uh, completely. You've got to learn from it and take the pluses from it and, and use that as part of reshaping what I now call your second life. So a huge part of that for me is an appreciation of the simplest of things. I, I, I wrote a little piece about my two hands and ten fingers. I, Until I was lying in intensive care, I did not realize what my two hands did every day. You know, I skipped right past them, and I was complaining because my beer was too cold or my <laughs> coffee was too hot. And, of course, it's ridiculous. And until you get ill, and, and when I was in intensive care, I was denied the use of my two hands. It was only then I realized, uh, you know, how I missed being able to scratch my nose and brush my teeth, uh, let alone drive a car or, or uh, w- 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 type on a computer. So, you know, what, what? again, what I say to people is take the pluses out. And there are pluses and keep them for the rest of your life from then on. So every morning when I, I, I drive a, an over an hour to get to work, and there's a beautiful church in Clonmel called St. Mary's. And the first thing I do when, I, as I'm going into town every morning, I go in, and and I light a candle for the day ahead. I light it for everything and everyone. I light it in appreciation of this is effectively another another day I was not supposed to have. And you you, you probably won't read that in any book, but it's it sets me up. It's the it's nearly the best thing I could do for the day ahead because it means very little will phase me after that. It just. I, I never will let myself forget where I was 16 years ago. Oh. And
1: mm-hmm. every
3: day uh, has been an amazing bonus and blessing since then.
2: you know, so it, beautiful. It is beautiful. And I, I remember answering a comment on um, one of the Facebook groups that I'm um, part of. And this woman, you could tell she was struggling. And she's like, will I ever feel, will, will I go back to normal? <laughs> And I'm like, uh, no, probably not. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was not quite that um, yeah. <laughs> blunt, but but that doesn't mean that whatever this new place is can't be even better. Correct. Because that's that's the whole point. Is like you said, Liam, learning and 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 using what you have learned. To make your life even better, because, like you said, just being grateful for those little things can make so so much difference. Um, so it sounds like your life is pretty darn good at this point. So tell <laughs> tell me tell me what your life looks like, and then I really do want to talk about your book.
3: Well, I, I'll skip through a little bit. Obviously, the uh, the recovery it took it took a couple of years to get anywhere close to. Uh, a normal day Uh, I mean for the first year I I had to go to bed about three times a day because I just had bouts of energy of two or three hours and uh, as you probably know uh, when the scars had eventually healed it's it's the radiotherapy that kicks in then and I was just completely quacked for another year or two right Um, and I wrote I wrote a little account of my story for myself Uh, at one point in recuperation, where I don't know what it was like for you two, but you eventually just get fed up being removed from the real world and watching daytime television or whatever it is, (laughs) and I wanted wanted to do something productive, and yet I I didn't have much energy. So I kind of ticked that box by just writing a little account of what I had been through, almost my own record of, of my own disease, if you like, and Family and friends heard I'd written it and wanted to read it. And if we skip forward then, about three or four years later, I began to get emails from literally all over the world where people had passed that that little script on um, from all of the English-speaking countries, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, all over Europe. And the greatest email said, I was giving up until I read your story. Oh, boy. And I, I knew at that point I am carrying something here that is hugely powerful. And, and if I ever doubt that myself, I just go back to what I would have meant to myself if I met myself 16 years ago. You know, you can flip back to the other side of the coin. So it, it was around then I began to realize uh, I, there is there is immense inspiration and power in, in the story I now have uh, and I, I think a lot of the appeal is I'm such an ordinary man from a small country I'm not a, a famous sports star or a movie star with, with, with millions so everybody can relate to it you know uh, I think that's the kind of story I was looking for so the recovery then just grew and grew and it you know I got back to work I got back running I, I ran in, in In 2012, on the 10th anniversary, I ran my first marathon post-cancer. And at that point, I wanted to bookend the survival and recovery story and say there is no doubt now my second life has caught up with my first life again. It's time to just (laughs) close out the story and get on with the rest of your life. Um, So I kind of marked 2012 as the year where that was the end of of the cancer story and the beginning of the perspective and, and taking, it, as you said, Sharon, the, the good things out of it and keeping them in the rest of my life from here on in. Yeah. In um, your family, then,
1: how old are your boys now?
3: My boys are... My boys now, uh, they are 24, 22, and 18. Okay. And as I said, the, the 18-year-old was one when I was diagnosed. Yeah. So. Yeah. The length of his life is the length of my second life, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's it's just a blessing to see them, you know, to, to have got to know them over those years. Uh, that that was not what we all thought was going to happen 16 years ago. So it's it's just so good to be alive and uh, to be here. And,
1: and are you doing architecture uh, still? I I know that yes. you were doing that before. Well, so you're yeah.
3: Uh, we were we were our own myself and pam our own husband and wife practiced for about 20 years and then two and a half years ago um uh, tipperary is a bit like dakota it, it was north and south for years and a few years ago they amalgamated into one big county and for the first time ever they decided to appoint a, a county county architect and um uh, myself and, and Pam actually, we both applied for the job, and I got the job. Uh, so for the last two and a half years, I've been uh, working uh, with my, with the county council, and I'm I'm designing all the the, the social housing. Uh, I don't know if you call it socialising over there, but it's uh, it's it's housing that the the, the county provides for for uh, for poorer people. And I'm doing new build schemes now in all of the major towns throughout the county. It's the nice. greatest job. It's an honour. Okay, and so I have it, to ask
1: this question: You and your wife applied for the same job, and you got <laughs> it. What's how's life been at home? How'd that <laughs> uh, go? Yeah.
3: Well, we were we, we were delighted somebody got it, and, and unfortunately it was me uh, and and Pam came second, would you believe? So wow, uh, that's awesome. Uh, but I, I, it was um, uh, we, we were we were delighted it came to the house in yeah. in one form or the other. Well, I'm sure and she's
1: first in your book, not second. Geez. So awesome. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
3: she's great. Yeah, she's yeah, fantastic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, so, so tell me a little bit about your book. What's the title, and why would I want to read it?
3: Right. So uh, I'll go back to when I began to get these emails. I I, I realized then. Um, uh, I am carrying something with 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 great inspirational power and I, I don't know I, I I have no I feel if I am you, you know it's a, a duty and an honor for me to be able to give that back so uh, and when I speak I, do, I don't look for a fee I have given away more books than I than I've ever sold but I thought, how do you preserve a story? And, and for all the technology we have these days, it's still just the good old fashioned way of you sit down and you write a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, I, I have to tell the two of you, that was a miracle in itself because I'm not a great reader. So I knew nothing about books, but um, I wrote it over two years. And as you've just said, when I got to the end, what am I going to call this book? And I came up with cancer Ford, the number four, uh, me five, so it's like a, it's like a hockey score, and I think a four-five scoreline tells you it was a ding-dong affair that could have gone either way in the end, you know. So I felt that encapsulated the battle.
1: Oh, but, you I like know, that. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, very clever. And so the the four represents a stage four tumor, and I can tell you one of one of my consultants along the line told me mine was so bad it could have been called stage forty-four, oh, but that's what the four represents. And the five is the five years of remission you have to serve out to beat that particular cancer. So it was as if in the hockey game, cancer went 4-0 up, up in the first two minutes. <laughs> and it took me five years to get the five gold back to win 5-4. So that's the title of the book. And then the, the little extra bit is after extra time or overtime, as you call it over there. And they're there to capture the two bouts of meningitis and the deep vein thrombosis I got. In the treatment, all three of which nearly killed me by themselves.
5: Oh, man.
3: So, which would have been ironic. He, he goes and gets <laughs> one of the worst cancers there's ever been and he dies from meningitis. But look, <laughs> um, so I well, that's the explanation that happen, of the title. So, yeah, and, um, I'm glad you asked me because a lot of people say, Where did you come up with that title? <laughs> and I just feel that the sporting years <laughs> of remission are where the numbers come from. Yeah.
1: Well we are just about out of time Liam and we had one more question for you before we go to our close and that's okay. basically what's what's next for you but I need the I need the really short version what's next for you
3: Well it, it's just day to day I I bring a lot of this to work with me every day I I, I try and make people give them perspective and say look you know it, it's not a problem compared to where I was 16 years ago and and, and I, I tend to have the best relations I can with, with every, you know, when I light the candle in the morning, is that I will be the best version of myself right through the day, no matter who I meet or no matter what I have to do, uh, which is links back to making myself the best patient I could be 16 yeah. years ago. That's awesome. And this is a tough line, but...
1: I hope our listeners I, I, heard that. You just cut out. Well,
3: it can only be a great day because I should have died 16 years ago and I will never forget that. So yeah. everything has been a wonderful bonus since then. And I'm going to carry out every day I, I have between now and then in that in that frame of mind.
1: Well, we are out of time and I am so thankful that you agreed to be a guest on our show today. To all of our listeners out there, if you are enjoying this show, and you want to help us keep it going we need to raise a whole bunch of money before the end of the year so if you um, we are listener and donor supported this is not public radio we actually have to pay to be on the air Um, but we do need to raise a bunch of money so if you like this program please go to breastfriends.org there's a big blue button at the top of the page click on that and then there's a spot where you can indicate it's for support of the radio show so please do that so we can keep this show going into 2019 and we're, I guess we're done. So we'll be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it.
0: Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.